the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And uh, probably not unlike yourself, just sitting here trying to figure it all out. Welcome to another edition of Lifeline for this Tuesday, the second day of October. We have begun a new quarter and a new round of what's wrong with our nation, or the world for that matter. On the heels of the tragic shooting in Las Vegas Sunday night, I know that we're all probably very stunned by all of this. Um, I suppose at a level they call these senseless crimes because you simply can't make sense of any of it. And yet here we are. We're going to attempt to at least reason together. And I always wonder, on the heels of these tragic shootings, we, going back to the days of the Columbine shooting, try to get into the heads of the shooters, try to talk about societal ills. Gun control typically goes high on the list of discussion. And we find ourselves here at the end having conversed and debated and fought and argued and maybe even accumulated a good idea or two, and yet ultimately nothing really changes when these types of shootings happen. Typically, the NRA comes out and defends itself and Second Amendment rights, and gun controllers say, okay, when are we going to get serious about this? Here's yet another shooter. And then you have to wonder, as the dialogue continues, well... Is the problem the guns? And if you take the guns away, will people that are psychotics and at the core evil just come up with another method? I mean, look what's happened in places like Nice, France, and others where um, significant carnage has been created by people who rented trucks and drove trucks into crowds on streets. So I guess we should maybe consider the viability of banning trucks, or at least rental trucks. And and then you think back to what happened in Oklahoma City in 1994, I think it was, if uh, my fading memory serves me right. And there was carnage released by what's basically fertilizer, ammonium, ammonium nitrate. And oddly enough, ammonium nitrate was found in the automobile of the shooter in the Las Vegas tragedy. So now we discuss banning or controlling ammonium nitrate. Evil people will be evil. And people that are bent on making a point, making a name for themselves, no matter how infamous ultimately it may be, are going to be evil. So uh, the, the debate tonight, and maybe that's not the right word, the conversation tonight as to what next? I mean, do we 
mourn the loss of 59 lives and the impact on hundreds of thousands of people, ultimately extended family, relatives. There were husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and mothers and fathers that all died Sunday night. There, as we speak, another 527 individuals in hospital and probably 10% of that number in critical condition. So the death toll may not be over with yet. We do know that the shooter, 64-year-old Stephen Paddock, was able to accumulate 23 weapons brought up in 10 separate suitcases. And I guess in a busy hotel that size, you don't really notice that. Although I do find it quite curious that he was able to check into the hotel using his girlfriend's ID. Really? I bet there are going to be some rule changes at the Mandalay Bay. And he managed in that collection of weapons, 23 all told, to bring with him thousands of rounds of ammunition, a number of AR-15s and AR-10s that are estimated to have a street value in excess of $100,000. This man was not poor. And I don't know from what we've learned so far that he was necessarily disenfranchised nor radicalized. Apparently, according to the FBI, there are no connections that they've been able to find to Islam, even though ISIS immediately managed to claim responsibility for this. I mean, how do you prove a connection like that? I think they're just, you know, chest-thumping because they are pleased whenever something ill-fated happens to America. I think there's no doubt that there may potentially be a mental health problem here. The sins of the father as Scripture reminds us, are visited upon the sons. His father was on the FBI's most wanted list, 10 most wanted, in fact, as a bank robber in the 1960s, considered armed and dangerous. Eventually, they did catch up with him. There was apparently no relationship whatsoever between father and son, though you have to wonder. At the end of the day, pardon me, at the end of the day, evil people will be evil. And the discussion concerning the whole gun control thing, which you knew immediately was going to jump to the surface. And I have to tell you, I, I, while I am a defender of the Second Amendment, um, I have never shot a weapon. I wouldn't, however, suggest attempting to burglarize or break into my home when I'm in it because you might find out that I can learn really quickly. And I have wondered whether or not we've allowed weaponization of America to go on too long without some kind of attempt at controls. And that's where it starts to get sticky. Because there is a valid argument that says if you outlaw weapons totally, that means only two classes of people will have them. The police, presumptively. Three, I guess we'll add the military in there. And criminals. Criminals will still get their hands on weapons. That will happen. And if anybody doubts the veracity of that statement, I invite you to explain to me how it is that America has the enormity of the drug problem that it has... When the drugs are all illegal, how, 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 how do we manage to get all of those, right? So 
Banning weapons outright, in addition to being a major constitutional problem, is also, I think, a problem from a technical standpoint or a practical standpoint. And yet then the other side of me says 23 weapons, most of them automatic or semi-automatic. Really? I mean, 23? Now, Nevada has some very liberal gun laws. Private sales are not tracked or approved, apparently. And I guess there's no limit on the number of weapons you can buy. I mean, 23. I mean, you're, you're either a gun fanatic or a collector or somebody bent on mass murder. There's no doubt so far from all that we have seen that, to be sure, this was well-planned, well-thought-out, well in advance, and well-organized. He knew to be there on the right side of the right hotel with the right view, with the right access to the crowd on the right day, with apparently the right number and types of weapons, managed to get them all up into the hotel, and apparently he's bought these weapons over a good period of time. We are learning today from Las Vegas police investigators that he had installed video surveillance cameras in the suite, which apparently had two large rooms to it, therefore the reason why he was able to get access from one corner of the 32nd floor and another section across maybe 10 windows to shoot and aim at the crowd. He installed video cameras both in the suite and hidden in a food cart outside of the suite so that he could know precisely when police were beginning to close in on him and apparently use that information to take his own life moments before they burst through the hotel room door. Was he radicalized? Doesn't appear so. Was he poor? No. Was he disenfranchised? No. Was he somebody with a mental health problem? Perhaps. Was he evil? Well, this question was first posed to humanity in the Cain and Abel story. And here we sit all these years later, still pondering why it is that we somehow as human beings created in the image of God feel motivated to take the lives of other human beings equally created in the image of God. So these are the questions that we are going to try and reason through today. There was a comment made by a CNN reporter that they had, quote, no sympathy for the victims as, quote, country music fans are mostly gun-toting Trump supporters anyway, close quote. CNN, in a temporary moment of brilliance, has fired that reporter for that on-air comment. It demonstrates to you the crassness and disconnectedness from humanity that some people in mainstream media demonstrate. And it's funny because I said to my reporter, well, in the effort to to try and present um, a balanced viewpoint on this topic, should we go ahead and get somebody in that uh, is in favor of gun control laws? Let's get uh, Nancy Pelosi in here, uh, most infamously Diane Feinstein, who defends gun control laws and yet uh, packs heat herself. That little detail came to light much after her revelations concerning her position on gun control in America. And uh, my producer, I think uh, justifiably so, said, oh, you mean present some balance to the story related to gun control 
because, after all, ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, NPR, CNN, MSNBC, at all, aren't already presenting that side of the story? With tongue firmly planted in cheek, she asked. Here we find ourselves, once again at the intersection of horrific human tragedy, now the largest mass shooting to go down in American history, just when we thought we were getting over Orlando, and we once again find ourselves asking the question, what next? So that question I pose to you tonight, we're going to uh, have a couple of guests join us on the program that we're going to open up the floor, as they say, to your comments as well. Take a time out right now. We'll come back to more of the discussion as Lifeline continues. 517, we've got Michael Bennett standing by with a look at traffic on this Tuesday ride home. Michael, how you doing? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. The uh, topic today is Come Let Us Reason Together. Um, because at the end of the day, I don't know if there's really much else we can do regarding this topic. Gary Dull joins us now. Gary is a board member of the American Pastors Network. He also co-hosts with our good friend Sam Rohr, the uh, weekly radio program Stand in the Gap, now heard on some 40 radio affiliates across the country. And uh, Pastor Gary, great to have you on the program tonight. Well, it's a delight to be with you, Craig, and I just might say we are on over 400 radio 400? There's a typo there, huh? Or I misspeak <laughs> on my... i got to make a note here. 400 stations. All right. You know, and, and, I'm, right. and I'm glad you don't have to get Sam in trouble, because I think I've said that before, and Sam's never corrected me. So <laughs> thank you for oh, paying well, attention. that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, Pastor, let's talk a bit about not just what's transpired here, but what our response Ought to be. I know that in, in these moments immediately following a tragedy of this enormity, we are confused, we are concerned, we think to ourselves, thank God it wasn't anybody in my family. Maybe others that say, well, wait a minute, um, Las Vegas is pretty close to the Bay Area. A lot of folks fly down there for the weekend, so maybe there are even those listening to our conversation that were impacted directly or indirectly by this tragedy, and given the number of uh, victims, we're counting 524 people that are injured, and about 10% of that number still critically in hospital, another 58 that lost their lives as a result. So the likelihood of somebody, at least knowing somebody, who was impacted by this tragedy Sunday night is a very large one. Moreover, we look at these events on the heels of, of any sort of major tragedy, and I think immediately, whether we're talking about a senseless shooting of this sort or a hurricane that touches down in Houston or in the Florida Keys or an earthquake that devastates Mexico City or a hurricane that devastates Puerto Rico, we look at this and say to ourselves, God, why did you allow this to happen? How do we answer that question? Well, Craig, that's a very good question, and uh, I often say this, that we have a great God. He's a sovereign God, the God who causes, allows, and directs all things to take place. Now, we don't always know exactly what God is up to. We don't completely know the mind of, of God as he allows, directs, and causes these things to come our way, but we do know that he could stop something. He could uh, allow it to be even greater than what it is. But the Bible teaches us very clearly that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, 
And in the Old Testament, it tells us, and of course I'm speaking this in light of those of us who are believers, that it is good that we are afflicted because then we can learn more of God's statutes and faithfulness. And so I think what it does in the long run, Craig, is that even though we may not know the intricacies of the way God is thinking, it does cause us as believers to go to the Lord in prayer. And I believe that we need to ask God, Lord, what question or what what lessons do you have us to learn? Are there spiritual lessons we should be learning and applying to our life when we see circumstances like this take place? One of the things immediately as we try to figure out what motivates somebody to act in such a fashion, and of course that we've been going down the list here today, was he radicalized to Islam? Was he somehow disenfranchised and angry at society? Did he get fired by the hotel and decide that he was going to take it out on Mandalay Bay? What what gets into somebody's mind to do something like this? Certainly potentiality of a mental health problem uh, is high on the list, though ultimately since he took his own life, we'll never really know the answer to that. But there is one question perhaps that we can ask the pastor that does have an answer, a clear-cut one, and that is, are we not seeing a manifestation of a problem that has plagued mankind here in its worst forms since the Garden of Eden? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we can trace this clear back to Genesis chapter 4 when Cain killed uh, Abel. And, of course, uh, I refer to that in the theological terms as the total depravity of man. And what we see here is the depraved actions of humanity uh, killing. And, you know, that is really tied in also, Greg, with uh, what I've often referred to as Satan's mission statement, as is stated by the Lord Jesus in John chapter 10, when he said there that the thief, a reference to Satan, has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. And so what we're seeing taking place in this terrible, terrible, terrible situation is the manifestation of the total depravity and the sinfulness of mankind. And, you know, I heard you talking there in your monologue before uh, I came on the program. We have people all across this nation saying, well, we need to talk about gun control again. You know, a gun in and of itself, Craig, has never killed anybody. It's the person who is pulling the trigger. And even if every gun was was taken away from every person on the face of the earth, there would still be people finding ways to kill other people because that, once again, is just an act of Satan that has played through the hearts and the minds and the actions of those who... Uh, are still not believers in Christ, but following the ways of the devil himself, who is the chief terrorist of mankind. And, and, you know, to put perspective on this, because I have to tell you, in the opening moments after this event, Sunday night, I thought the same thing. I thought, well, clearly some are going to use this to argue for greater gun control, and, and maybe in the wake of something like this, that makes... Even the tragedy of Orlando pale in comparison. Maybe this is a dialogue that we finally need to have. I mean, using this case as an example, what does somebody need 23 guns for? Why should you have access to purchase thousands of rounds of ammunition all at once? And yet, the more I think about this, I say to myself, well, this is a method 
as you've suggested, of creating carnage. But if this method were somehow suddenly taken away, the evil side of mankind, bent on destruction, will just find another way to take life. We've seen it with the bombings using things as common as fertilizer. We've seen it by people renting trucks and driving them into large crowds. Trust me, if somebody wants to take somebody else's life, they'll figure out a way to do it. Last time I checked and looking at the history of the story of Cain and Abel, I don't think they had weapons. At least they didn't have (laughs) guns available at the time. And yet uh, that was a successful um, uh, murder. So there's, there's that argument. And and then the other the other thing here too that I find mildly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Disingenuous. There's a good term. I find mildly disingenuous the fact that we get all up in a lather over what has happened on Sunday, and rightfully we should. It's a horrific, terrible, ugly tragedy. And yet now nobody wants to have any dialogue about the fact that the number fifty-eight is mild in comparison to what's happened in just the first nine months in a city like Chicago, in a city Uh like Chicago, where 481 people have been killed by guns since January the 1st. And that number, in fact, is over well over 520 if we include stabbings and, and other means of taking one's life. And yet we don't hear anybody clamoring for gun control so when it's, I guess, a, a slow, steady drip, we kind of ignore it. It's akin to, well, if an airplane goes down and 230 people li- lose their lives suddenly, we're horrified by the idea. But if 10,000 people die to cancer over the course of the year, nobody thinks a thing of it. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting thought there, Greg. And uh, every life is significant, you know, whether it's 58 or 500, whatever the case may be. Every life is significant, and I think that we need to make sure that we do everything that we can as Christians to preserve life. It's interesting that you bring up the case of in Chicago. You know, Chicago is a city that has a lot of restrictions on, on gun ownership, and yet their, their rate of, of shootings and murder by way of guns is, is probably the highest in the whole country. And so, you know, it's not the regulation of the gun that is going to keep somebody from taking somebody else's life. It's the regulation of the heart. The Bible teaches us in the book of uh, Jeremiah, chapter 17, that the heart is deceitful. It's wicked and deceitful, and it's unable to be understood by mankind. And so when you have a heart that is totally depraved and wicked and deceitful, then these wicked acts are going to be... uh, fulfilled by mankind. Uh, and, and, you know, people always ask the question, where was God in circumstances like this? Well, God is, God was the same place he's always been, sovereignly leading, controlling, overseeing this universe. And uh, as I said at the beginning of the discussion, he causes, allows, and directs all things to happen and in order to fulfill his purpose and glorify himself. And we just need to depend upon him to do what's right, for his word tells us that with God, his way is perfect. And uh, mankind tries to get in and and reason and rationalize 
And I think that what we always need to do is to search the scriptures and see what God says about it and, and realize that in the end, God himself is going to be honored. There's one thing, though, that comes to my mind, Greg, that I want to share with you that as a pastor I consider, and this is one of the things that I shared with my own congregation. I believe that as Christians who are here to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to do all that we can to share the message of truth, the message of the gospel with others. Going back to John 10.10 that I mentioned earlier, Jesus said the thief comes not but for to steal and kill and destroy, but then he goes on to say, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And I believe that we ought to take situations like this as Christians and communicate to people that there is life and there is hope in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if this fellow, Mr. Paddock, Paddock, however he says his name, Stephen Paddock, would have come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the chances of this evil act happening would have been extremely slim to nothing. And so in my own mind, it motivates me to say, I need to be more actively involved in my father's business in getting out the truth and the message of the Word of God so that people can come to Christ, grow in Christ, and have a heart that's changed into a new creature in Christ. And you know, what's interesting is that typically there's discussion amongst those that are slightly older would say, well, this didn't always used to happen. And I don't remember stories like this when I was a kid of, of, of massive tragedies and shootings and terrorists and all of this taking place. Well, the one thing that we need to keep in mind in the equation is that the further America gets away from Jesus Christ, the further the, the, the message of the gospel is diluted, the further that competing false worldviews and religions get more and more of a stranglehold on our culture, and the less that we see the importance of the Judeo-Christian ethic active and alive in the public square, in public life, private life, the fewer and fewer that see the value of not only a personal relationship with Christ, but involvement in the church and the importance of, of the values that Scripture teaches us, well, the further and further a nation drifts away from God, God's hand of protection, and therefore, without that staying power, without that salt, that preservative that is so necessary, suddenly we find a culture that is set loose— that no longer has the controlling influence of the Word of God. And as a result, we see more and more inf events like this. And here, here's the startling news. We'll see more of this. There will be more of this to come. The further this nation drifts from her moorings, from a biblical perspective the more we can anticipate evil to reign unabated. Now, you ponder that for a moment. We take a time out. We'll get back. We're going to ask uh, Pastor Gary Dull, board member of the American Pastors Network and co-host of the nationally syndicated radio program Stand in the Gap, heard on 400 radio stations across the country. We'll take that time out, come back to more of the conversation with Pastor Dull as Lifeline continues. 
536. Let's get the latest. Michael Bennett gives us an update from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. We're visiting with Pastor Gary Dahl, board member of the American Pastors Network, co-host of Stand in the Gap. Immediately after these sorts of tragedies, we try to figure out why, and then we try to assign blame. Who do we assign blame to in this case, Pastor Dull? Well, you know, I think that you uh, touched on it, Greg, Greg, before we went into the break, and that is the idea that America has turned her back on God. And, uh, you know, I go back to the book of Hosea, chapter 4 and verse 6, where it says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject you that you shall not be a priest to me, seeing you've forgotten the law of thy God, I will forget your children. And that's a verse of Scripture that we as pastors say will preach. And um, I trace a lot of this back to 1962 and 1963, when prayer and Bible reading was taken out of the public school. And if you just follow the trend since then, uh, Craig, you will see that in short order, in just a few years after prayer and Bible reading was taken out of the public school, we had the uh, sexual revolution in 1967 and 68. And then in 1973, uh, we find that Roe v. Wade came into play and uh, legalized abortion here in the United States of America. And then in the early 80s, we saw the increase of homosexuality and the, the rise of AIDS and everything that related to that. And ever since 1962 and 63, we've been getting further and further and further away from the truth of God. Somebody once said to me years ago, and I've used the, the, the quotation over and over again, that what today's generation tolerates, tomorrow's generation propagates. And past generations have tolerated the rejection, the giving up, the turning away from the Word of God. And so what we are finding being propagated today are people in a different generation who are propagating not biblical truth, but secularism and a, 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 an antichrist world view. But, but let me interrupt you for a minute, Pastor, because at a level, I, I hear what you're saying, but then I think to myself, well, wait a minute now. Uh, why should we be surprised here when the unregenerate act so? In other words, there's no evidence here to suggest at all that, that Stephen Paddock, I mean, uh, who knows what was going on in this man? We've talked about what might be going on in his head, and who knows what was going on in his heart. But when we see evil personified, uh, when we see the unregenerate act in an unregenerate fashion, I suppose we can't really be surprised about that. What I'm wondering uh, is whether or not we need to take a serious look at ourselves as the church. Have we failed here somehow? I agree with that 100%. First of all, we should not be surprised when the unregenerate act in an unregenerate way. Uh, I think sometimes the question we need to ask is why don't they act, why don't they act worse? And, of course, the answer to that question is because God is in control, and, uh, you know, God's not going to allow things to get out of his hand of control, and so we can be thankful for that. But, yes, the Church, the Church of Jesus Christ, is 
at blame here. And that's what I was actually leading up to. Um, you know, and again, I, w- I want to go back to 1962 and 63 when prayer and Bible reading was taken out of the public school to, to play into this argument. And that is that I know of pastors, no, I was alive then, I wasn't pastoring then, but I, I've heard pastors say that when Madeline Murray O'Hare was involved with that campaign of hers, that they felt as though she would not be able to get prayer and Bible reading out of the schools, and so they did not do too much. Well, what they failed to realize that behind her was the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil himself. And so they sat back and did nothing. Well, let's extend that out to where we are today. As a pastor of 43 years, I really believe, uh, Craig, that, that the Church of Jesus Christ is not adequately being the church that Christ would have it to be. I go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, where it tells us that the church is the pillar in the ground of the truth. We need to get back to the point where the church is living according to the truth. And as you know, there are surveys out there all over the place that say that, that many Christians just have the same type of a lifestyle that the world has, that unbelievers have. Well, there's your problem. And then you've got other surveys out there that say that even though maybe 75% of the pastors in the pulpit uh, believe in the authority of Scripture, only 8 to 10% actually preach the whole counsel of God in their pulpit ministry. And so absolutely, you know, when, when back in the book of Hosea, chapter 4, it says, My people are destroyed through the lack of knowledge, the Church of Jesus Christ no longer, as a whole, as we should, lives according to the biblical worldview, but we've compromised, we've brought secularism into the Church, and consequently the Church has lost its distinction, and where it's lost its distinction, it's lost its power, and where it's lost its power, we can see the increase of the wickedness that's in the world today. And when the salt has lost its savor, right? We appreciate, uh, Pastor Dole, you taking some time to be with us today to um, help us reason through parts of this tragedy that at certain levels I think we'll, we'll never fully understand, and yet from a scriptural perspective, oh, we can fully understand. There is Pastor Gary Dull, board member of the American Pastors Network and co-host, along with our good friend Pastor Sam Rohr, of the Stand in the Gap radio program heard on some 400 stations across the nation information on the web at pastors american pastors network.net that's american pastors network.net time out traffic michael bennett michael and now back to lifeline with craig roberts back to the conversation sam paredes joins us now he is executive director of gun owners of california and, of course, uh, we frequently have Larry Pratt on the program. He was uh, tied up, uh, obviously, with all that's going on, uh, trying to answer immediate requests. But, uh, Sam, we appreciate you taking time to be with us today. The one question I know that everybody's asking, why does this guy need access to AR-15s and AR-10s? Um, we understand, according to police reports, 23 weapons all told, over $100,000 in street value, and at least from early on reports, all of it obtained apparently quite legally. And so 
the uh, the anti-gun folks come out of the woodwork all asking the same question. How is this possible and why is this necessary? Your response. Um, the AR-15 platform rifle, first it's a pleasure to be on with you. The AR-15 platform rifle is the single most popular type of rifle that Americans are choosing to own for a variety of reasons across the country, even here in California. Um, it is a rifle that, that uh, uh, a design, a platform that can be used for many purposes, including personal protection, competition, hunting, target practice. It's easy for people to use, so it's easy for people to become proficient in defending themselves with these, with these firearms. These are the firearms that are our soldiers who go to foreign lands and, and protect us. They come back. They're familiar with these. This is what they want uh, to, to use to, to protect themselves. Obviously, there's a difference between the guns that they use while they are in the military service than these guns. Um, but, but like it or not, they are the single most popular guns in America today, bar none. This usually brings up conversations about, well, do we need stricter gun control laws? Couldn't we have done something? Nevada has looser laws than a state like California, for example. Uh, These arguments seem to kind of go on ad nauseum. And I've I've suggested with the guest that was on just uh, previous to you that, well, if tomorrow we said, okay, that's it, we're going to disband with the Second Amendment, we're going to get a constitutional convention going, we're going to say, that's it, nobody can own guns anymore, save the military and the police, I suppose at the end of the day, the only people then will have access to weapons in the general population will be criminals, and those that wish to create carnage and mass destruction will just find another means, wouldn't they? Absolutely. I had an interview this morning with uh, 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 the BBC in in the United Kingdom, and they mentioned the same thing. Here we have a country with no guns, and our, our, our crime rate is really low. And I said, well, how did that work for you when the IRA brought whatever guns they wanted to to, to commit whatever acts of terrorism in your country. And he says, well, that's a good point. How about in, in Oklahoma City, where, where, where somebody with evil intent in their mind and their heart filled a van full of manure, uh, of, of, of fertilizer, and filled it with, with diesel gas, diesel fuel, and committed, you know, created one of the largest bombs ever used as a terrorist act here on this country? You're absolutely right. As long as we continue to focus in any way on the guns, the crimes are going to continue to happen. Gun control is not the solution. Here in California, we have laws that govern everything about guns. There is hardly any other law they can come up with, say, banning all guns. And and still, we had a situation like San Bernardino that occurred here. People complied with all of the laws. They did background checks. They did all that. And then they committed acts by modifying their guns, uh, criminal acts, by modifying their guns. This guy, we need a lot more information about what drove this guy to do these things uh, with, with, with these firearms before we come to any sort of a conclusion. But let me tell you, it wasn't the guns that caused the problem. It was this guy. And until we focus on crime control and criminal control, we will continue to miss them, and they will continue to grow amongst us and, and commit their evil acts. So and what's quite apparent here, too, Sam, uh, with what little we know this early on, that this was a well-planned, well-executed attack. 
He knew what hotel to be on, on what day, apparently facing what direction of the hotel to get best access to where the concert was taking place. He had apparently been stockpiling weapons for a number of years. Clearly, he had planned this weeks, if not months and months in advance. And I have to wonder if we, again, to capitulate to the gun control side, just said, that's it, we're going to outlaw guns. If somebody is bent on this kind of carnage... Given how porous our borders are and the fact that uh, last time I checked, there were laws in this country against marijuana, heroin, crack cocaine, uh, the whole nine yards, and yet it is a multi-billion dollar industry in this country that pours across the borders north, south, east, and west like an open sieve, I suppose if you outlawed guns, it could be as easy as saying we're going to outlaw illicit drug use, that it's still going to get in, that somebody who really is bent on using a weapon for this purpose, would still be able to ultimately get their hands on it if they really wanted to, wouldn't they? they absolutely. Your, your, your point is absolutely spot on. It's against the law to commit murder. How's that working for you? If you don't have somebody looking for people who are willing to commit murder, police officers with resources to, to, to investigate and to follow uh, uh, folks that, that, that are either have a criminal background or have been legally adjudicated as having mental problems uh, through a due process, um, and we strip them of their ability to do that. Craig, here is the situation in California and in America today. We have a legislature and political leaders who are stripping us of the ability to defend ourselves and to acquire firearms to defend ourselves. At the same time, they are opening the lion's uh, dens doors and letting criminals out of prison uh, like the, they have a bill in the legislature right now that specifically says that anyone who is um, convicted of a violent felony with a gun does not have to face a determinate hard sentence a judge can give them a lesser sentence and thereby put them out in the streets. Well, I tell you what, I, I had a, a, a government official, I won't say who, but in the last week I had a government official tell me that the uptick in crime that we're seeing in certain cities here in the San Francisco Bay Area, including what had been considered to be, you know, some of the more sleeping areas like the city of Fremont and, and, and elsewhere, with a, with a significant increase in crime, pointed to Proposition 48 here in California, where, you know, we're saying, well, if they don't appear to be all that violent, we're going to let them out early, this, that, and the other thing. And, and all of a sudden now they're getting out and they are committing violent crimes. And a lot of that goes back to the idea that instead of addressing the problem at the core, we wanted to kind of do window dressing on the backside just to make ourselves feel better about it. You, you know, here, here's a point that you need to, that, that verifies uh, your observation and your, your, your comments here. What they did in order to make it look like crime is going down is they redefined particular violent crimes to misdemeanors. So they are no more, no longer qualified and counted as, as felonies. They're counted as misdemeanors. And when they when they collect the data and information on, on uh, criminal acts, misdemeanors are not collected the same way that as, as felonies are. So it looks like the crime is going down, but you talk to any police officer on the street, and they will tell you the crime is on the steady and significant increase. And the new victims of crimes will be the first to tell you, man, we are in deep yogurt these days.
Do you have any sense, uh, Sam, and, and forgive me for springing this on you because I know that you're not sitting at your desk right now, but do you have any sense in terms of everybody says, well, proliferation, proliferation of guns, proliferation of guns, but per capita, is there that much of a significant increase in gun ownership today than, say, 50, 60 years ago? Uh, there, there actually is. Uh, for the first time uh, in, in history, even African Americans as a community are over 50% in support of gun ownership and would prefer to live in communities where homeowners own guns. There are, uh, it is a safe bet to say that there are over 400 million guns in America. 400 million. And the fact that somebody has a quote unquote arsenal of 18 or 20 guns, heck, that's, that's nothing. That's, that's an everyday, you know, uh, a gun safe for, for, many gun owners, so that has nothing to do with anything, but they throw this stuff up to see if it sticks against the walls, and in fact, what they're doing is they're deflecting the attention away from criminal control policies. They concentrate on gun control policies, knowing that the body count will continue to increase as long as you make it impossible for law-abiding citizens to defend themselves, and you send the, 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 the predators out amongst them. That's what we're facing. This dialogue, no doubt, will continue in the coming uh, days and weeks. We appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to be with us today and give us a little perspective from the, the gun ownership viewpoint. Sam Paredes, he is executive director of Gun Owners of California and a board member of Gun Owners of America. All right. Thank you again, Sam, for being with us tonight. Okay, we're going to give it a bit of a rest. Uh, This is a heavy topic, and I I think particularly so burdensome when you think about the the sheer level of carnage. We need to be in prayer for the families, the survivors, the families of the victims, the survivors, those that are still in hospital, uh, those that have a long, long road of recovery ahead, not just physically, but emotionally. Um, I think we need to pray that God will visit our nation and that we will ponder not just the whys and the questions related to guns and all of that, that most normally something like this tends to bring to the forefront, as it has in this case, Uh, but that we will most importantly ponder where we're at as a nation spiritually. And that's, that's a question that we don't collectively ask ourselves um, as much as we should. And I think that uh, it's high time we do so. America tends to turn herself more seriously back toward God in times of great crisis and great tragedies. We certainly saw that in the days and weeks following the Islamic attack on New York and the Pentagon in 2001. Maybe this is another time for us to engage in more self-examination, particularly as to where we are going morally and spiritually as a nation. Six o'clock from KFAX. We're going to turn a corner to something a little bit more uplifting. Chip Ingram is going to join us on the program next. Right now, though, Michael Bennett standing by in the wings for an update on traffic. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.